there is no error with your audio outputs. Do not attempt to fix any sound issues. We are monitoring you with this device. We control your options and settings. We are transmitting through your internet connection, but our signal is actually entering your mind, sending electrical impulses into the very tissues of your brain. Try to stay calm. We've taken over your senses for the duration of this broadcast. You are helpless to resist. We have taken control for your own sake. There are things you must know. This is Paranoia Radio, hosted by Olaf Phillips and Ron Patton. Hello, and welcome to another thrilling podcast from the Paranoia Podcast. (laughs) Shut up, Ron. (laughs) Okay. Good one, bro. Good one. Yeah. Thanks, man. Keep it going. Okay. I am Olaf Phillips, the publisher. Yes, Ron. Yay! I, I'm just going. Yeah, man. Way to be. Way to be, Olaf. Are you high, Ron? No, I'm just amped because I just got off work. <laughs> You're high on life. Very I, much so. <laughs> I am Olaf Phillips. I am the producer of this show, and uh, I don't know where I'm going with it. I was. I am the publisher of Paranoia Magazine and the owner of Paranoia Publishing. And on the line, I have the the inevitable uh, Ron Patton. Ron is the uh, Ron's just part of the show. Uh, I just let him come on once in a while. Throw me a bone once in a while. Yeah, you know, I was afraid to do this by myself, and I needed somebody with a heartbeat. And I said, "Ron, you're available." Yes, I am a warm body and uh, pretty damn good looking too. Uh, sure, whatever you say. <laughs> Hey. And, and my my hygiene is impeccable, you know, just for those who were really curious about that. But uh, anyway, you know, it's been a while since we've actually had a paranoia podcast. It it so. has been, and and we've been uh, super busy um, adding books. Uh, we just published the the re- we republished uh, Marine Marie D Jones uh, Super Volcano. Holy crap! It is a amazing book that will scare the crap out of you. Yeah, that's with her father, her her late father, who passed away a few years ago, yes. uh, Dr. John Savino. So uh, an excellent book, and uh, hopefully we'll get some uh, – be publishing some more books. I mean, she's like a machine when it comes to writing books. She, she, she is. puts about three or four out a year or something her, like that. Her and Nick Redfern, man. Redfern, yeah. he cranks them out too. Yeah, I mean they're good. They're just they're, they're not you know, just like oh yeah okay whatever I've heard this before. There there's a lot of new and insightful material that she puts out as well as Nick Redfern. So I'm glad we're finally been able to at least reprint uh, you know a book that she's sort of had on the sideline for a while. But uh, you know we hope that uh, you know a lot of people buy her book. Speaking of schlocky crap, we also published my second book, uh, The Secret Cold War in Space. Uh, look for links. Hey, Ron, I, I got a request of our, our listeners, and I, I know there are at least like five or six of them out there. Yeah, at least a handful. <laughs> at least a handful, because they send me hate mail, and they're like, why don't you do the podcast? And I go, well, you know, I just can't get off my lazy ass and do it. Mm-hmm. But... 
Long pause for dramatic effect. <laughs> hey, all you guys who listen out there, you know what? Can you tell other people about the podcast and like like the show on iTunes and stuff? I think we have like one one positive rating on iTunes. The, these shows get played six, seven, eight hundred times, and we have mm-hmm. like one like. So I'm right. I'm going to challenge you guys. Please go go like us on iTunes. Right. So we can recruit more people to join the cult. I mean, just please. Right. For for the you love know, of God. And really, our mission statement is essentially statement. to is to spread paranoia to the four corners of the earth. Mission right? statement. I yeah, that was. I didn't sign off on that, Ron. Well, I mean, that, that was just something that we that was should be innate you know you should already that it is i mean and it's biblical too so there you go you can look it up go look it up in your holy bible (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's in there under uh i don't know where hey uh another big announcement um you know, we decided, uh, since we have a mission statement, we decided to expand the reach of our little show here. Uh, we've been working with a with a shortwave radio station in uh, Germany, and so we are now broadcasting this show uh, on shortwave mm-hmm. in, in Germany. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Scheiße. So if you if you happen to live in Europe, uh, tune into sixty seventy kilohertz at uh, eight p.m. to nine p.m. UTC, and uh, you'll catch a paranoia podcast. Yeah, I hear the chicks in Dusseldorf are really hot too. <laughs> well, I think, yeah, they don't shave under their arms, but they're really hot. Well, I I've received um, listener verifications. This is a short wave thing where people uh-huh. send you an email and go, "Hey, I heard your I heard your show." Um, I've gotten some from Russia, uh, Bavaria, Austria, Germany. I think that's it so far. That's good. Yeah. I was excited. Central Russia. Right. I was excited by that. I was like, holy crap, somebody listened to the show. So that did that give you a little bit of impetus and motivation to say like, yeah, let's let's start doing this on a regular basis, even though it's harder than hell sometimes to do it? Yeah, I mean I you know, the the guy was nice enough to to send me an email and and the people who have sent letters, um yeah, it's nice. Uh, in in one case, apparently we were being jammed. Uh, the guy said oh, we were wow. we we're actually being jammed. <laughs> I was it's like, why would you crazy. why would you jam this crap? <laughs> Whatever. <clears throat> anyway, very so, strange. So you know, go on Facebook. You know, like Paranoia Magazine. You know, we're on Instagram, uh, Paranoia Mag. We're on Paranoia Mags, I think it is. We're on uh, Twitter. Follow us on Twitter. Send us email, info at anomalies.net. You know, what do you want to hear? What do you love about me? I always uh, encourage people to send me letters about how much they love letters. And you should read some of those love letters, too. I mean, on the Paranoia podcast. I will. It's, just, just maybe two or three. We don't want to go all night with them, but you know, there's so many. <laughs> they're just uplifting and you know, very encouraging. Hey, so uh, before we get to tonight's subject, which has long been awaited, um, I did want to cover a little bit of news. Uh, it's interesting. Um, we find ourselves in a bit of a dust up with uh, good old North Korea, mm. and and I find the the news as of late 
somewhat fascinating that uh, I think it was today there was a uh, Russian spy trawler that was sunk off the coast of Turkey. And it was wow. apparently run over by a cargo ship. So I guess oh, that, yeah. Shit happens, right? Shit happens, but it's like, how do you miss a cargo ship? <laughs> yeah. How do you not see a cargo ship bearing down on your, your, your fishing trawler surveillance boat and go, I'm not going to get out of the way? <laughs> I'm I'm curious about this. And and at yeah. the same time, you know, the, the North Koreans have been saying that they can destroy the entire United States immediately and uh they're going to sink the Carl Vincent with yeah. Im- immediately. And um, Well, how I mean that's a lot of rhetoric. I, I think they can definitely do some damage oh, sure. like, with dirty bombs and you know if they yeah. already have cell groups in this country, oh, they, but to say immediately, I mean, you know, well, the dude's the, dude, the dude's a little wacky, you know. Well, but the the thing that I I find fascinating about this whole thing is that about last year there was a there was a time when two I think it was last year two two things happened. One is that Clyde, our our uh, our mutual bud, got a an email from a guy who was a ham radio operator and he heard um he heard some sort of a binary transmission mm-hmm. um in a subcarrier off the voice of north korea right and I, I looked into it and and the burst transmission it was a burst transmission it was digital and it it was encrypted and it was very very long and and at the time i said oh well this is probably for a sub or it's for a ship that's out at sea and every and i had a whole lot of ham radio operators not give me very much love and tell me i was nuts until they found a uh, cargo ship going through panama uh there was north korean registry coming back from cuba carrying a bunch of ballistic missiles and shit in its cargo hold and the panamanians went down there and they looked and they said oh, we don't even know what this stuff is so they called over the army which we have an army base at the panama canal of course and those guys apparently they boarded the ship and they were i would assume horrified because the the uh the story just vanished I mean, gone. Like one day it's there, the next day it's gone. Mm-hmm. But I think those transmissions were meant for that ship because about the time that they got them, they would have been leaving Havana. Right. Um, and at and a little bit later, a very bizarre thing happened where the uh, North Koreans put fifty of their submarines to sea. They have a bunch of old diesel subs that they bought from the Russians, and pretty much anybody who'd sell them a diesel submarine, um, they uh, they put them all out to sea, and we lost track of all of them. And that mm-hmm. was about a year ago. Well, now now you know they're they're saying these things, and lo and behold, within the last few days, the voice of of North Korea has started uh, broadcasting their number station, which is not a a number station. They play a song and they say, for the thirty seventh, you know, expeditionary force, mm-hmm. you know, here we're going to do some. <laughs> I, I, sh- I shit you not, we're going to do some math today, and then they. Do do like math problems and shit and then <laughs> it goes offline well they've they've been broadcasting this thing for the last few days and right it it makes me suspect that they're getting ready to do something because they're putting assets in place so i i'm going to go out there with my conspiracyness and say that that something's going to happen probably in the next few days 
Well, I mean, based upon uh, what we've been discussing on Ground Zero this week and having uh, either ex-military or people still in the military call us and say that, oh, yeah, this has been in the works for about 20 20 years now. This has been a 20-year plan. That's finally going to be coming into fruition. So and then, you know, some are a little bit more veiled or guarded and they'll just say, you know what, Clyde and the listening audience, just uh, prepare for a few weeks in early May. <laughs> it's sort of I've like heard, I've heard May 6th, May 9th. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, you know, and it's never uh, I, I think it's prudent to, you know, be able to have a little excess or a little reserve as far as water and food and you know uh there's nothing wrong with that uh, but again if, if you're getting these military people who are you know i know they can't really uh divulge a lot because they're security clearance but they're giving us enough indication that yeah something is most likely going to happen within the next uh week or two yeah, I mean, you know, and at the same time, apparently, uh, according to Associated Press, the uh, Chinese Air Force has put their uh, their bomber fleet on red alert, and they've yes. they've accelerated their maintenance plans on their bombers. So they also put their their uh, missile installations along the North Korean border and artillery units on alert. So is there is there any precedent for that? Have they done that uh, in the past? I'm sure they have, but it's just strange timing because you've got a carrier battle group out in the Sea of Japan, and then you've got a gui- you've got a guided missile submarine. Basically, it's a submarine that just fires uh, tomahawks, right? Missiles, right? You've got one of those currently uh, off the coast of uh, South Korea. Gotcha. So you have you have a guided missile cruiser, a guided missile destroyer, and an aircraft carrier on one side. Right. And then you've got you know a guided missile submarine on the other side, and that doesn't count all the other subs that we probably have poking around over there. So I would say that they're definitely they're definitely setting things up to do something. And it, it all from the news, it looks like it's all apparently triggered on whether he he decides to run another nuclear test. Huh. Yep, stay tuned. Stay tuned. More more details to be coming. So speaking of, of spooky stuff, so you know, tonight we uh we don't have a guest. Um I thought we could do the show that we've promised to do for a very long time. Almost a year ago. Almost a year ago. And talk about Rubicon and some spooky shows. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, Rubicon is a TV show that was created by Jason uh, Horwich and produced by Harry Bromwell um, on the AMC network. Uh, It premiered in 2010. Um, It ran for one season. It had just one season. That's all. (laughs) One season. That's all. Why? 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 uh, It had 13 whole episodes. And and there's some very interesting things about it, but basically the very first episode, uh, there there's a bunch of guys. They're working at a bunch of people. They're working in a a think tank, and mm-hmm. basically they're like analysts. They take information, and they look for patterns, and they try to suss out, you know, what's going on. 
Well, after the first episode, uh, the guy who created the show, Jason Horwich, he was kind of forced out, and Bram- Bromwell uh, took over. And at that point, it went from being a think tank to a private security operation. And basically what happened was is that there's this guy, he's like the leader of the team, um, he, he ends up killing himself <clears throat> because... Um, his subordinate had had found that there were messages being hidden in um, crossword puzzles, uh-huh. and so and it and somehow linked it to this rich man who had killed himself. And the well, actually, he doesn't kill himself. He's on a train. I'm sorry. He's on. It's been a while. He's on a train, and the train gets hit, right? And he's killed. And so his subordinate becomes the manager of this team of analysts and sets out to figure out what happened. And you basically go through the show and they kind of figure out that there's some sort of this vast conspiracy going on and that these messages are being traded back and forth using these crossword puzzles. Mm -hmm. And what it ends up in the last episode is effectively that the data that the analysts are collecting and analyzing is being used by a small cabal of people to drive uh, foreign policy and business policy to make them more money. So effectively, they're given all this intelligence. They figure out that something's going to happen. They tell their, their superiors. Their superiors tell whoever they're supposed to tell. But... In the process, the guys who actually run this organization, there's a small group of them that that trade stocks and and buy companies and sell companies based on what's going on to take advantage of international crises. Right. Now, oddly enough, this show, although it was fairly popular, uh, was canceled for low ratings after one season. Huh. And, you know, when people watch it, everybody says, well, how could this show be canceled after one season? Right. You know, you, you've got you've got these other shows that are on and they're not they're The production quality isn't as good. The acting isn't as good. The quality of the story isn't as good, but they stay on. Mm-hmm. But this one's canceled. Right. And I, I think I think fundamentally it's because the premise was too close to home. Right. And they it, it was it was showing things that actually do occur. Now the reason that that's interesting is because the guy the guy who's actually the producer and the showrunner, the guy who kind of manages day-to-day operations, this guy uh, Henry Bromwell, it turns out that his dad was in the CIA. And his dad had been stationed at a number of places like Beirut, um, Cairo, Tehran, Kuwait, and he had brought his family along. So Bromwell had grown up, you know, in this kind of um, field operation setting where his dad would disappear and people Uh would come and talk to his dad and use different names. And, And his dad probably passed on some information about what was going on. Not too much, but... You know, some level, he kind of was, like, aware at some level what was going on. Right. Well, oddly enough, after Rubicon had ended, this guy Bromwell went on to produce produce a Homeland, mm-hmm. which is about CIA people 
<clears throat> trying to find homeland terrorists and and they were eventually they were kind of pushing the envelope and starting to go overseas with it almost sounds like 24 yeah it was kind of 24 ish but it, it it showed the the cia people to be you know heroic and patriotic but flawed and tormented uh-huh. and and you know it went on for some time right well, it turns out that not only was Bromwell's dad in the CIA, but it turns out that his cousin is a former direpu- sorry, former CIA deputy director John McGaffin. Mm-hmm. And he say he states in a in an Atlantic article, Henry would call me occasionally when he was doing things, including the first part of Homeland. McGaffin recalled, "I'd give him clear and candid answers, and he realized and re- realized he was giving them to the, all the writers. At his funeral, I met Alex Ganza, and he introduced me to all the writers. They told me that whatever." They got stuck on a problem or story. They would say, let's talk to John McGaffin. I'm glad I didn't know or I would have failed all my polygraph tests. Right. So well, interesting. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're the real, you know, basis of, of some of the shows are derived from. Uh, I was talking to Richard Allen Miller, you know, who's a uh, former uh, – Office of Naval Intelligence guy, and uh, he's actually the, one of the original warrior monks. And uh, he was talking about uh, the X Files and some of the uh, material that he put out that happened to go in some of the earlier X Files. Yeah. So it's not always, yeah. I mean, the writers obviously put it together, but where do they get their information from? So it has to come from some basis of reality. So I, I, that's what I find really interesting is where, where is this really coming from? How is this being formulated? And uh, I guess what really baffles me too is the fact that you have shows like Rubicon and then there was a show that was uh, – you know, had the same kind of uh, uh, thriller type thing to it called the no uh, called Nowhere Man back in the mid 90s. Right. And right. that was only on for like a season or two. But it was great. Yeah. And no. people loved it. I know. But, you know, all of a sudden, oh, yeah, the uh, ratings aren't high enough. Unfortunately, uh, we had to cancel it. Well, and it, so, it turns what? out it turns out that I was reading this article on the Atlantic Operation Tinseltown how the CIA manipulates Hollywood right it turns out that that you know I I had known that for a long time that the CIA would court journalists to give them positive information and to sway their articles toward being what the CIA wanted right what, what I didn't know is that in starting in the 90s they really did a hard push mm-hmm. and it it says here, the long relationship between Affleck, Ben Affleck, a prominent Hollywood liberal, and Langley seems particularly perplexing, but the mutual admiration has paid off handsomely for all it's concerned. According to The Guardian, during the production of Some of All Fears, the 2002 Clancy thriller starring Affleck, the agency was happy to bring its makers to Langley for a personal tour of the headquarters and to offer the star access to agency analysts. When filming began brandon this guy brandon chase brandon who was who's a liaison between the cia and hollywood was on set to advise 
and they go on to talk about the the Jennifer Garner who was married to Ben Affleck. She was in a show called Alias that went on forever, and it got to be really strange toward the end. Mm-hmm. But she, but they, the CIA <clears throat> actually had her produce a recruitment video. Interesting. Yeah, and they they like treated her really well because she portrayed the CIA really well. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. it, it just goes on and on and on and on. I think in I think in Argo, I think in Argo they actually allowed them to film inside the CIA headquarters. Yeah, I mean there was definitely a slant to that as well, but I mean it was accurate to an extent, but at the same time, you know you can just sort of deviate from reality just a bit to make people think in a, in a certain way. And uh, I know that there were, you know, uh, people who uh, were there at the time who actually saw the movie and they said, uh, not quite, sorry. <laughs> it wasn't really that way. No, but I mean, hey, that's, that's the movie world, right? Right. But what's interesting going back to Rubicon is that Bromwell, once when he was doing his work on Homeland, he had a sudden heart attack. Mm-hmm. And he died at 65. He just dropped dead. Boom. Boom. Yeah. Dropped dead. It's very strange. It, the whole thing is very, very odd. And the guy who originally made made Rubicon, Jason Horwich, he pretty much just vanished. Uh-huh. He, he, has, he hasn't done really much since. Mm-hmm. He just stopped. He just is gone. Right. Yeah, well, I wonder if, you know, somebody had spoken with him in a, in a very direct way and uh, it frightened him. I wouldn't be surprised. You know, I wouldn't be surprised. And they probably said, look, if you don't do this, we'll give you some dinero and you can just go off and do your own thing. And Yeah, go party. Yeah, and he, he gave up on it. Yeah. Because, I mean, looking at IMDb, Right, you see, you see a steady progression. He made Finding Graceland in '98, Joe and Max, which is some sort of a TV movie, 2002, The Pentagon Papers, 2003. He wrote Evil Can Evil, 2004. He was on medical invest. He did medical investigation between 2004 2005, and then he takes a long pause, and then Rubicon in 2010, and then nothing, and then it, he writes two episodes of Southland in 2012. And he writes two episodes of Luke Cage in 2016. Huh. That's it. Yep. You know, he he produ- he creates a show that everybody loves, and then he just vanishes. And he does right. almost nothing after that. And meanwhile, Bromwell, you know, he who's intimately connected to the CIA, not only through his dad, but through his... You know, through his cousin, you know, he's mining the CIA for uh, he's mining the CIA for details that he's rolling into Homeland. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody kept saying, "Well, Homeland, it's so accurate." Well, of course, it's accurate. He's getting it from the CIA, right? Hmm. And now, and now on Fox, you've got uh, the Americans. Uh-huh. And that they they started making the Americans, I believe not long after they found that cell, that Russian and uh FSB cell in New York, right? 
Yeah, I believe so. So do you think there's, you know, different networks have different type of political leanings or stances? Well, put out certain types of shows that sort of identify with those, uh, the politics that they uh, try to put out. Makes sense, right? Yeah, you know, I think so. I mean, in the case of the the Americans, yeah, that's on FX, and mm-hmm. that's not so much the, the CIA. That's more of a cat and mouse game between the FBI and the KGB. Right. You know, and it's it's interesting to watch and I I've, I've had people tell me in the past that it's that it's accurate to some extent. I mean, obviously there's some dramatic license, but it's but it's accurate to what what those guys were doing and and are still doing to this day. And and I think I think in some ways you know a lot of times in in conspiracy we we talk about like predictive programming, yes. This notion that that shows are produced and films are produced to kind of prepare us and to kind of <laughs> socialize messages. Mm-hmm. And I I think that I think that these shows come on at different times for different reasons. I think that Rubicon was outside of that because it, nothing was really going on at that time. Right. But but you look at the Americans, you know, the Americans starts I believe around the time that they found that FSB cell. And and now you've got this show that's on every week talking about KGB operatives operating inside the United States. They're a all-American family. They have exactly two kids. The guy drives a Camaro. They own a they own a, a travel agency and oh by the way on nights and weekends they're out assassinating people and stealing information. Right, just so it happens. Right, and and the FBI, you know, they're trying hard to find them, and they're running down everything, and they're heroic, and they're patriotic, and you know, they're working as hard as they can. And meanwhile, the KGB operatives, right, they're being tempted by the West. You know, they're maybe maybe what we're doing is not the right thing. Maybe you know we should go home, or maybe we should turn ourselves in. You know, and and it, it casts a very negative light on them. Right. I mean, I'm an American, right? They're KGB infiltrators. You know, sure. They shouldn't be here. We should arrest them. Whatever. Right. But but you know, you, you watch them from a dramatic point of view. You know, the KGB is trying to get them to uh, you know to indoctrinate their children and to turn their children into agents, and you know, and they're trying to do this. And one of the kids from one of the other families that's part of this operation, uh, the <clears throat> the illegals. Uh, he goes nuts and kills his family. I mean, it doesn't, it's not a positive thing. It's not, you know, it's, I mean, from there, I'm sure from their perspective, if you talk to somebody who is one of those infiltrators who went back to Russia, I'm sure they saw it as a, a very patriotic thing. They're trying to help the motherland, whatever. But, you know, but from the show perspective, I mean, it's just abysmal. You know, they just, it just, you know, they kill people for the wrong reasons and they kill the wrong people and, you know they're it's it's misguided and you know they're trying to uh-huh. knock these people off and it turns out that they were wrong about what they were trying to do and you know and they're they're blackmailing people and destroying people's lives and all this other stuff you know right as vladimir putin watches it and laughs <laughs> i mean yeah oh, those oh. stupid americans <laughs> well and and you know what's interesting is that one of the the interesting ways that it ties in is that that whole concept of false news and this, uh-huh. you know and one one of the things that's really pisses me off as a conspiracy guy is you know 
this this idea that the CIA or the KG or the FSB or you know these different <clears throat> intelligence operations manipulate the news, right? You know, a lot of times, like I'll be going to a conspiracy site and reading something. Because you know it's a lifestyle, right? You know, you, you don't just switch uh-huh. it off. It's like, you you know, if you research conspiracy stuff, I mean, you're like this 24 hours a day, right? Right. And so I'll, I'll go on a site and, and I'll read something from uh, from Russia today, you know, and, and I know that, uh, that um, oh, uh, Jesse Ventura had a show on Russia today. And Russia mm-hmm. today says that, that Obama is going to declare martial law. Never happened. Right. You know, Russia Today says that that you know the U.S. government is going to declare martial law and create an autocracy. Never happened. <laughs> Russia Today uh, says that the American government is going to take away everybody's guns. Never happened. Right. But meanwhile, it agitates these guys that are maybe a little further to the right or a little further to the left than I am. I'm more of a centrist myself, but you know it agitates them and they go buy ammunition and they react. Well, it turns <laughs> out that Russia Today is a wholly owned subsidiary of the Kremlin, that they occupy the same space as Pravda did, which was a notorious for mm-hmm. disinformation. Their their budget comes from the Russian government as personally approved by Vladimir Putin himself. Right. Right. You know, and it comes from the Kremlin <clears throat> that a lot of the people that they they have on there that you know that are the English language people, they're trained in, in English language schools in Russia that are run by the intelligence services. And I've noticed something else interesting that when you watch Russia today, uh-huh. that when they do an, when they do a show, when they do something and they talk about something happening in the South, uh-huh. that the person that's presenting it speaks with a Southern accent. And when, <laughs> and when they do something that, that happened in Germany, they have somebody speaking English with a German accent. Right. And the thing is, is that when these guys are trained, right, when linguists are trained by the military or the government, Mm -hmm. they're actually trained in specific dialects. Right. So you would you could have somebody who went through language school in Russia who was taught to speak with a southern accent. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And and, And a certain dialect as well. Right. So they'll be very knowledgeable about the culture and the dialect of that region. Mm-hmm. And and we do it too. You know, I knew a guy who was trained in Arabic and he he was trained in Jordanian Arabic. So when he spoke, he spoke like somebody from Jordan. Mm-hmm. And if you talk to him on the phone, you would never know that he was just a normal American guy. But you would think that he's Jordanian. Mm-hmm. And it, but but you know, Russia today. I mean, it's like, you know, what's Jesse Ventura thinking? I mean, the you know, he's basically cashing a paycheck from Vladimir Putin. Well, the the thing is, this is what they do. Okay, there are things actually on Russia Today that are more accurate than what you'll find in the United States. However, I need to preface that by saying, then there's also different types of. Uh, news that they put out that has an obvious angle or slant to it. Right. And uh, so basically, this is the way I look at it. United States, you know, as far as their media, CIA. Media in Russia, 
KGB. It's it's basically they're pretty much owned and operated, you know, by the uh, intel, you know, the primary intel agencies. And uh, so there's really no difference when you look at the whole picture, you know what I'm saying? Because they're still creating this illusion of what's going on in the news. But I I know that there's so many people that look at Russia today as, oh, they're much more accurate with what's going on in the world. True to only true to an extent. They have to do that, right? To make themselves look good. That's the golden thread that in any disinformation, there's always a bit of truth in there. Right. And sometimes they'll put out more truth than what you'll find in in the U.S. media. But uh, so at one time I was like a big Russia Today fan, but then I I started seeing some of those tendencies where they would have a a certain angle to it that wasn't necessarily congruent to reality. You know what I'm saying? It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're... What's going on here? Uh, but, you know, that, that's sort of the, the battle of, uh, you know, countries' intel infrastructure and media, whether it's driven through uh, the news or through movies or through TV series, uh, you know, especially the ones that we're talking about. I think you really need to kind of scrutinize it, you know, for what it's worth. Yeah, they they might be exciting and compelling and riveting, but at the same time, you know, uh, how much truth is actually, you know, in some of these shows and then how much of it is just sort of embellished or, you know, are they trying to take it at a different angle to kind of uh, divert divert us in such a way well and, and you can see it then in one of the the last episodes of the americans uh-huh. that they had on <clears throat> the guy who's like their handler right he decides that he's had enough and he decides to go back to russia right and when he's making the decision he goes and walks through the Washington Mall because obviously the, they're in they're in Virginia. They're close to you know all the intelligence apparatuses here and the Pentagon and everything else. And he, and the fine they they do this kind of montage of him walking around. And the final place that he goes before he says, you know what, I've had enough, mm-hmm. is that he goes to the uh, to the Abraham Lincoln Memorial. And here he is. He's a KGB operative. He's standing in front of the Lincoln Memorial. He's reading those iconic words on the Lincoln Memorial. He turns around. He looks at the spire, you know, and 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 he decides I've had it. And when he goes back, the next day he meets with these two people that are the KGB uh, illegals. And the one the one illegal this guy, he he says he wants to know. Like what his dad did, uh, or he no, he wants to know, like what the handler did during the various purges within the Soviet Union. That early on, you know, they had a series of purges, and they would <clears throat> they would put people who they didn't think were one hundred percent behind, you know, the revolution. They would put them in camps, and it was very nasty, and it was a very dark time in in Russian history. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, 
you know, I was he was in the NKVD, which is a predecessor to the KGB, and he he was like it was a mess. You know, we put people in prison that didn't belong there, but we had to put them there because that's what our our leaders wanted. He's like, I killed people, we killed people. It was just a mess, and it, it wasn't as glorious as you've been told. Right, and they say, like, by the way, I'm going home now. I've had it. He's like, I, I, I just want to retire and fish, you know. And it's, but it's like the iconography of him going and looking at Abraham Lincoln, reading those words, you know, looking at the reflection pool, you know, it, it, it had a very like Americaness about it. And right. the, the final words before he exfiltrates, the final words he says to the guy is, he said, you know, the daughter they were trying to recruit, he's like, don't let her into this. Keep her away from this. It's, we were wrong. You know, the, the home office, so to speak, is wrong. They call it the center. The center's wrong. You've got to keep her away from this. Don't let her live this life. And then he walks through the door with a, a stolen piece of grain and exfiltrates yeah. to Russia. And and so the guy comes back and he's like he's he's having problems and he you know he's like I don't want to do this anymore I've had enough of it etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. So it, you know it obviously is a, is it comes across as well you know you're an American now you know you like America you like Amer- you know, Americans you're friends with Americans you like American ideology more than you like the Soviet thing maybe you should you know leave right. and, he, and he's kind of going through that and, you know it, it, but it it presents a very clear slant uh-huh where you know you watch other you watch other things and it's more like true to the situation good bad right wrong it's true to the situation but in this case, you know, you could see the slant very clearly. Mm-hmm. And so do you, do you think like uh, throughout, let's say the past 20 years or so, you, you see sort of the a cluster of shows that are have similar characteristics, you know, like these type of uh, conspiracy thriller type shows we've been talking about? Because back in like the early to mid 90s, you had, you know, shows like, of course, The X-Files. Right. Uh, and then you had Dark Skies and then Nowhere Man. You know, you usually have like three or four of them and then maybe one or two just kind of take off like the X-Files. You know, my my impression of the X-Files in particular uh-huh. is that I think it was designed to break open the break open ufology to the masses. Uh-huh. The prior to the X-Files, you know, ufology was one of those things where it was like everybody, you know, everybody knew somebody had seen a UFO, but like mm-hmm. nobody would ever talk about it. Right. You know, I'd go to a party and people would be like, oh, you're interested in UFOs, huh? I'm going to go to the other end of the party. You know, <laughs> after the X-Files, it was like I go to a party and it was like, oh, you, you know, you're interested in UFOs. Well, let me tell you about the UFO I saw. Yeah. I mean, it was it's bad enough now that, you know, my uncle, uh, my uncle, I we went to visit in Minnesota and. He was like, "Oh, you got to talk to my friend. You got to talk to my friend." You know, 
<clears throat> I told him about you. He wants to meet you. He wants to meet you. I'm like, okay, you know, that's cool. So he's like, okay, I'm gonna go call him. So he calls him, and this guy comes up on, you know, they they ride Harleys and and motorcycles and work on cars and that kind of thing. And the guy the guy pulls up, and he's kind of a big gruff guy. He says, "Are you Olaf?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm Olaf." He says, "So I'm sitting out on the back porch," <laughs> and he tells me this like massive UFO sighting that he had. Uh-huh. So it's like come full circle from where I was a pariah to now I'm like, you know, everybody wants to talk to me at a party. Uh-huh. And and I think – but I think the reason why is that my feeling, especially based on the miniseries of X-Files, uh-huh. my feeling is – is that you know the, the CIA has a long track record of using ufology for its own means, mm-hmm. and they used it for monitoring people. <clears throat> they used it for disinformation, like the A twelve, the predecessor to the SR seventy one. People would see the silver thing because it was silver streak across the sky. They go, "Oh my God, I saw a UFO! Venu- Venusians are landing." And the CIO was like, yeah, you saw a UFO. Yeah, that's not an airplane that, that goes hella fast. No, right. no, 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 you saw a UFO. And they would actually put operatives into the sky watches to tell people, yeah, yeah, you're looking at a UFO. And meanwhile, the KGB was putting operatives in the sky watches going, uh-huh, I bet you if we go to the sky watch, we can see some exotic aircraft. Mm-hmm. And I think that the reason, I think the reason the X Files came about at that time was to start this massive culture shift toward pushing the the UFO alien agenda. And I think they used it to cover up the stuff that they're really doing because I think a lot of the things that we see, where we claim that they're UFOs, like some of the things that I saw at ESETI, I don't think they're UFOs. I don't think they're aliens. I think they're exotic aircraft. But I think that what has happened is that you know I sat out. In that field with everybody else, and I'm watching this thing go by. I'm like, well, that's a that's a plane, and uh-huh. everybody else is going, oh my god, it's a UFO, it's trans, you know, trans dimensional right. visitors and other stuff. I'm like, mm-hmm. no, 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 that's an airplane that that is flown by a person, right? You know, and I think they're I think they used it to change the the dialectic to be from well, what is that to oh, that's a UFO, right? And I think starting in the 90s, we've started to see an acceleration toward this whole notion of, like, the secret space program, and and they're doing stuff up there. And I think that that they use the X-Files as a cover because Uh what's interesting is that that last miniseries, I guess they're doing another one with 10 episodes this time, Uh but that, that, that miniseries, I mean, it came right out of my book. I mean, it was it was my book come to life. Yeah. I mean, literally, you know, the Venus syndrome and how he's talking about, you know, <clears throat> climate change and manipulating the weather. And, you know, it, you know, <laughs> it, I mean, it was right out of my book. Mm-hmm. Mill, the mill lab that. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when she comes to realization, she wasn't abducted by aliens. She was abducted by, you know, soldiers. Uh-huh. I mean, I mean, we saw that with uh, with the Betty and Barney Hill thing. Right. You know, the initial the initial hypnotic regression. Barney Hill's like, dude, they were Nazis. 
Uh-huh. There's like a redheaded Irishman with a with a German Shepherd. Right. I mean, do they grow German Shepherds on Zeta Reticuli? I don't think so. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of that my lab stuff that kind of comes across. And even Whitley Stryber, yeah. you know, later on started talking about, uh, you know, loss of memory and then also uh, – being in certain types of uh, medical facilities and he was kind of like rethinking the whole uh, alien abduction scenario because he was one of those whiz kids right right who uh and i mean that's a whole nother show we could go talk about uh you know taking the most intelligent youth back in the 50s and 60s and then giving them you know special government sponsored education but uh, interestingly a lot of those uh kids had alien abduction scenarios you know screen memories right and and the screen memories start to break down after a while that's the whole thing about the owls and all this implanted Mm -hmm. crap that they do And, and it's like you know I, I just I don't think it's aliens. Yeah, I actually I think it's a little of both. Uh, I just don't know what percentage. But uh, you know I like Heineck Heineck and Vali. You know if you if you listen to Heineck Heineck always said that he believed that ten percent of them were alien. Uh huh. And Vali, you know he he likes Jacques Jacques Vali. Jacques Vali. He hey he's going to be a contact in the desert too. By the way. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, I love Jacques Vali. Well, well, he, you know, he he's always been in the mindset that they're transdimensional. Mm-hmm. You know, messengers of deception. I mean, it's about transdimensional beings, right? And it, you know, but I think you know he's a scientist by training and and by trade. And I think that if you if you really pin him down on it, I think you'd probably get something similar to Heineck, where it's like ten percent. Gotcha. But I think that uh, that in the case of in the case of uh, X Files, I think it was used to cover up larger programs that, yeah. that they were carrying out. Because you know, w- from the point of the X Files on, you know, the, there's an acceleration of UFO sightings. There's an acceleration of triangle sightings. There's mm-hmm. a, an acceleration of discs. Right. So yeah, yeah the timing was very uh, interesting. It was in regard to uh, even like during the Phoenix Lights, right? Right. Because that was in '97, and that was at the uh, at the uh, pinnacle of uh, I think both Dark Skies, which is only a couple of seasons, and the X Files. And what's what's fascinating to me is that they spent what nine seasons, I think, on the X Files, yeah, building up this whole like black goo thing, mm-hmm. and then they do the miniseries. Are well, it's not really aliens. Yeah. And what it turns out is that the depending on where you are in the pyramid, they were feeding disinformation downstream. So Uh the the black goo was probably some sort of genetically engineered stuff. And, you know, and they covered it up by saying it was aliens. Right. And poor Krychek, you know, cuts his arm off and grows it back and, you know. Yeah, that was crazy shit. It was, but... But you know, I think I think that uh, I think the X Files is is notorious for being uh, fairly accurate. But I think accurate insofar as that stuff's going on, but inaccurate initially on the cause. 
Right. I mean, you know, you got to hand it to those guys, Chris Carter and those guys, because, uh-huh. I mean, they called 9-11 before it happened. Yeah, that Dean had the uh, lone gunman. Yeah. Show. Yep. With Dean Haglin and the two other dudes. Yeah, I mean, Dean Haglin, you know, we had him up there for a Ground Zero event, and he he was saying that that they were in shock. They are like, wait a minute, we just filmed this. Yeah. And they didn't, like, know what to make of it. <laughs> you know, and they were, like, confused. Like, wait a minute, we just filmed this. Right, and then they, all of a sudden their series was taken off, right? Right. They did. They lasted one season, and everybody loved those guys. I know. You know. Yeah, and none of these shows are canceled because of bad ratings. Well, they, they say that because their ratings weren't up to par. However, if you base it upon the number of people who say that, hey, that was a hell of a show, good show, then you know you got to wonder, you got to question. And again, I get back to Dark Skies, which I personally thought uh, was better than the X-Files. So did I. Because, well, because it had historical context to it. Right. You know, even within the whole alien agenda that was trying to undermine our government, there was still like, you know, J. Edgar Hoover and, uh, you know, Robert Kennedy talking right. about alien. You know, it was just kind of neat that way. You know, you'd have people impersonating these, you know, very high officials from right. from the sixties, so I I thought Bryce Zabel did a great job with that. And he did. Yeah, I was really hoping that we'd get that reboot, but unfortunately, that did not occur. No, maybe someday. I mean, yeah. we all we all fought hard for that reboot. I know. <laughs> Poor guy. I wanted it to get rebooted. But but you know, I think that I think that a lot of these shows are put in place. Um, to cover things up and to change the kind of public perspective on things. Yeah. Yeah. But that that's why I was talking about earlier is about sort of like you, you got to look at the certain time frames and you got to look at certain shows. And that's why I brought up like in the mid 90s, you had men, you had Nowhere Man, Dark Skies, X-Files. And then like in the late uh, 90s to around 2000, you have a show like The Pretender, which I was glued to. I love that show because, again, you get back to the whole Whiz Kids phenomena, and it had to do with this uh, place curiously named The Center, right? Right. It's always The yeah. Center. Right. Where you'd have all these uh, kids who would get involved in these uh, very uh, complex simulations basically it was kind of designed to exploit their intellect for you know very clandestine or subversive uh types of programs and then jared breaks free from this program and tries to find his parents and tries to figure out who he is but in the meantime you know he just he acts like a chameleon he can pretty much like look at a person or just look at a circumstance and just blend right in, you know, whether it become a doctor or a lawyer or, or whatever. And so I just love that show because it really 
kind of related to some of the MK Ultra stuff that they were doing, as well as some of the the WizKids uh, type programming that was actually occurring back in the uh, 50s and the 60s. So, uh, and then I think that lasted, I don't know, about four or five years. And then it just seemed like there was a little lull, like right around uh, after 9-11. Yeah. You didn't see too many shows. And then sort of like in the late 90s, then you have, you know, shows like uh, Fringe and Dollhouse. Right. Which had to do with, you know, like KHX. Uh oh. I think I lost him. Ron. I dropped. I know you did. We were being jammed. Damn them. Damn them to hell. I know. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, we'll get back to what I was saying, you know. But uh, You do that, Ron. <laughs> Where was I? Where was You're I? talking about Dollhouse. Yeah. So anyway, you know, regarding shows like uh, Dollhouse, uh, which had a lot to do with some of the uh, uh, MKUltra Ultra. Um, programming that was going on with women. Then you have uh, a show that came out in, I think, I don't know, about four, five years ago, which was a, a favorite of mine. And I've only watched two seasons of it, but uh, it just like blew me away was uh, The Blacklist. Sure. And, uh, you know, that has a uh, name, James Spader, I think. You know, he's yes. a former. He plays a former you know, office of naval intelligence guy, and you know basically he turned into a criminal. You know he kind of went rogue for a while, and then he wants to kind of get back into the United States. And basically, the FBI tell him, "Well, the only way you're going to get immunity is if you provide us with the names so of these, you know, very uh, the most dangerous, you know, criminals in the world." Hence the name Blacklist. Right. But, uh, that again has a lot of uh, truth to it, but then at the same time, there's a, a certain slant or angle, and uh, yeah. So th those were a few of my uh, favorite shows. And uh, so, is there any particular show right now out there that's sort of like the uh, preeminent or most prominent conspiracy type TV series that you're aware of? You know. Um I'm going to have to say the Americans. Right. Okay. I'm going to say that that's, that's kind of like the preeminent one at the moment. Right. I mean. Well, I'm, I'm going to have to watch that. I'm going to have to take a look at it. Although um, I know that uh, Stranger Things, are, it's more sort of like science fiction per se. Yeah. Instead of, uh, you know, like uh, Spy and all these clandestine intel-like operations, but it still has that sort of uh, feel to it, you know, the paranormal sort of thing, which uh, happens to do with, uh, you know, experiments that go on at, through this, uh, d you know, Department of uh, Energy DARPA-type place where they're experimenting on various types of dimensions and... Quant, there's a lot of quantum physics involved and they got the upside down world and right. this creature becomes manifested and uh, 
So I'm hoping for a really great second season. But that's my, uh, you know, guilty uh, pleasure, I guess you could say, for viewing is Stranger Things. So we'll see what the second season has in store for us. You know, you know, the one that I found that I, I literally watched the whole season last night was Frontier. But uh-huh. that's that's more of like historic. Uh-huh. It's, it's about how the Hudson's Bay Company tried to manipulate um, manipulate the sit, various situations to maximize their profits. Right back in the fur trading era, that you know right. they go so in. We're talking like in the uh, early eighteen hundreds or something. Seventeen hundreds. Oh, seventeen hundreds. Okay. Yeah, and you know they they were going in, and you know they would they would literally kill off. Um, other fur trading groups and mm-hmm. you know I find that one interesting but I pretty much watched the whole season in one day huh <laughs> you just went for it bro well yeah. that's what I did with Stranger Things yeah it's sort of like okay after the season I just spent a weekend just hibernate my friend and I were just hibernating and you know partying and watching stranger things it was great you know the the one show that i've never seen that that does have a lot of conspiratorial bends uh-huh. is uh twin peaks now that's interesting because i saw that uh you know periodically i, I didn't watch all the episodes but now that's something that i'd really like to start you know from the very beginning and watch yeah. it to the end because I hear so much about that. Yeah, me too. And, uh, it seems like there's sort of this resurgence for Twin Peaks. I know, like Vincent Zunza from Pacific North Weird is really into it. And uh, yeah, I never watched it, but you know, actually, you know, there there are two shows that they're not on. They're not on now, I guess, but uh, they are surprisingly conspiratorial. Mm-hmm. Um, is Gravity Falls? Okay, I've heard of it. I just don't know much about it. And the new, the new, um, the new adventures of Scooby Doo. <laughs> Get out of here! No, I shit you not. The the when they kind of rebooted Scooby Doo, uh huh. It pretty much was like Zachariah Sitchin Ancient Astronaut Fest. Wow. I mean, they they were like quoting Sitchin. I mean, it's crazy. Uh-huh. Very interesting. Yeah, and it filtered through the whole like the whole s- series. That this you know that the ancient aliens are coming back. It was right. it was very the Anunnaki. The Anunnaki, yeah, and right. and and you know Mr. Lobo's in it, although he didn't know it. There's <laughs> a guy that looks just like our our favorite horror host. Oh really, Mr. Lobo? Yeah, he he yeah. There's a guy that looks just like so him. He has it. a doppelganger. Yeah, he has a doppelganger. But Gravity Falls is is very very odd. Huh. Uh, the guy, um, Bill Cipher, who's the bad guy, uh-huh. he, he's literally an Illuminati pyramid. He's a pyramid with an eyeball on the top. And there's yes. all, yeah, there's all kinds of Illuminati iconography in it. Uh-huh. And they talk about the Illuminati and mm-hmm. it's crazy. It's, it's nuts when you watch it. And the guy, the guy who, I forget the guy's name, but the guy, the kind of main character well the main character is these two kids and they go to visit their like wayward uncle and their wayward uncle runs a like a mystery shack i think yeah. they call it the mystery shack but he runs this like mystery shack in mm-hmm. the pacific northwest somewhere and he's got like bigfoot droppings and you know all kinds of ufo paraphernalia crop circles 
inside uh-huh. this like this like mystery shack museum. And it turns out that he opened like a dimensional portal with his with his brother who was like a scientist. They open like a dimensional portal. And they have to like reopen the dimension and they have like five fingers, which is, you know, significant. Right. And they Where's the thumb? Where's the thumb? And they they open a dimensional portal to go fight Bill Cipher, this massive uh Illuminati pyramid with an eyeball on the top. Bruce Campbell Bruce Campbell should have been in that one. <laughs> it's it's crazy. It's yeah. it's yeah. But that and the new adventures of Scooby Doo. The the Scooby Doo one, I mean it's literally like the Anunnaki are they literally are like the Anunnaki are coming back. Well, it seems like I have a lot of viewing to catch up on. Oh, it's it's interesting. It is very interesting. And that's kids programming. Yeah. And I and I think um don't hold me to it, but I think Teen, Teen Titans Go has actually because they have these weird parts of Teen Titans Go uh-huh. where they do like these explanations, like they'll it's like Schoolhouse Rock. You know, you'll have Teen Titans Go and they'll be acting strange and doing you know cartoony kind of stuff, and then they'll like explain the mortgage meltdown. Huh. It's weird, and then they'll like be doing weird stuff and the weird stuff, and they'll they'll explain how fiat currency works. Right. And I, well, I swear I saw one where they explain the Illuminati. It's, I mean, it's crazy because it's like, you know, kitty, kitty, kitty. Here's how the mortgage meltdown occurred. Here's how a mortgage functions. Here's <laughs> how the government works. You know, what's deep politics? And it's a kid's show. Right. Well, yeah. Very revealing. But at the same time, it's that sort of... Uh, type of programming where it causes one to be somewhat incredulous when they're trying to figure out, well, is this real or is this not? And I mean, really, that's that's how our media is is generated today. Uh, well, we build them so, up to take them down, you know. Yep, very true. I mean, you know, we, we I mean, how many how many uh, how many news anchors have you seen now that lied about? You know this or that, or you know they were going to go. You know they they went into a war zone when they didn't. You know, right? And it's yeah. not just Bill O'Reilly. I mean, it's other people too. You know. Hey, and I heard Alex Jones says, "Oh, I'm just invo- involved in performance art. I didn't really take this seriously." That's right. <laughs> even though he's, even though he has like narcissistic personality disorder, apparently. <laughs> it's all performance art, really. I'm not serious you about know what? it. I bet you it is. Well, you know all that screaming I do on the show? Well, I don't do that at home. I just do that on the show to make money. Yeah. Well, you know, he has a good gimmick, so got to give him some credit, right? Yeah, but, I mean, he made millions of dollars on the backs of his followers. Oh, yeah. And and that's that's one of the things that makes me crazy. You know, I'm a researcher. Yeah. I don't make much money off this. You know, I do it for the interest of doing it. Uh-huh. You know, I wanted to do the podcast for the interest of, of getting these ideas out there. Right. But it's right. like and you look at Stephen Greer. It's like disclosure, disclosure, disclosure. By the way, pay me 700 bucks to take you out in the desert. I'm going to take a flashlight and shine it in the sky. And if right. anything is up there, I'm going to say it's aliens. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. I mean, it's horseshit. Right. Yeah. And actually, you did a. a, a a radio show on Disclosure is Dead. I did. did you, With Jimmy so Church. Yeah, so people can uh, 
uh, hopefully be able to find that. Yeah, I went archive on, show. I, I went on Jimmy Church and I said, you know what, disclosure's dead. It's BS. You right. know, here you got Stephen Bassett. You know, it's like I'm I'm the UFO disclosure lobbyist, and and you know when they hacked uh, Leon Panetta's email, mm-hmm. and they put it all on WikiLeaks, it's like you can search for it and find Bassett's email to him, right? And and Bas- the sum total of Bassett's email to Leon Panetta was uh-huh. like, hey, you put out a you were, put out a tweet that said UFOs are real, and you did an interview where you said you thought UFOs might be real. I think we should talk now. And there's like a bunch of misspellings in it. Right. You know, and it's like, uh it's like people, people donate to you to do what? Mm -hmm. I get it that you beat the street and you're, you're out there telling people stuff, but it's like, if you actually look carefully at what these guys are doing, Mm -hmm. you know, you'll see Stephen Bassett or you'll see Stephen Greer and they'll say, well, we delivered a briefing document to some guy who supposedly gave it to some guy who gave it to Hillary Clinton. Right. And it's like, you know, and, and in case of Greer, uh, he claims that he went to this dinner party and the dinner party was a cover so that he could brief this, the head of the CIA mm-hmm. about, about disclosure. Right. right? And everybody at the table signed a document saying that's not what happened at all and it wasn't just the head of the cia it was everybody at the table everybody at the table was like dude you're lying Mm -hmm. now i get it if the head of the director of the cia is going to go yeah it's that's not what happened and he's lying i mean it's the cia Mm -hmm. right sure They're, they're paid to do that but right the art of deception yeah but the guy's wife signed it yeah and it's like you're going to carry out a top secret briefing with the guy's wife sitting there and a right. bunch of people that don't even have security clearances. You're going to you're going to give some sort, you know, they do that kind of shit in a place called a skiff. Right. A secure compartmentalized, you know, facility. It's called mm-hmm. a skiff and they go in there and it's like a Faraday cage and you know, there's you can't bug it and they sweep it. That's where you do things like that. You don't do it at a dinner party. That makes no sense. Right. You know, and it's like Greer I mean seriously he charges people 700 bucks to go in the desert. Oh well, you know. You there, know? I think actually there's more people like that. Who are on the uh, UFO circuit or even conspiracy circuit? Oh yeah, are either just you know they're either disinfo agents or they're just in it for to kind of make a buck, you know. Um, well, it's like but, David oh. Wilcock. I listened to an interview with David Wilcock. I was driving up to Tahoe. The guy uh-huh. spent two. He was on coast to coast. I think he spent two uh-huh. two hours. Two uh-huh. hours talking about how awesome he was, and he has these inside sources and whatever. And it's like you know what, you know what, Dave, you and Corey, you know, you say that the blue avians are feeding us information and they're uh-huh. helping us with our secret space program. Fine, uh-huh. fine. Show how me. Come s- you don't get any of that information, right? No, no, oh. no, no, no. That's not it at all. What? It's really simple. If you have all these sources, show me something. Right. I hear you talk. Yeah, I hear you talk about it. You know, at least look, my book, it's okay. I think you'd enjoy it if you read it. But you know what? I put photos in there. 
Right. I wanted to prove that that UFOs are not some of the UFOs that you see are are flown by Nazis. So what mm-hmm. did I do? I found an article from Saga in the 1970s where this guy had gone through and found all the iconography off of all these UFOs and published it. I said, you know what? That looks like a Nazi symbol. So I went and found the Nazi symbol. I put Uh them side by side. I said, you make the decision. Right. You know, I believe that they're powered by people. I think there are people sitting in those discs flying around. I wanted to prove it. So you know what I did? What? I looked at the iconography. You tell me who from Zeta Reticuli is going to paint... UN and four numbers on the side of their UFO. Good point. Right. I mean, there's there's tangible evidence of some of this stuff. It's like, it's not all crazy. I, I postulate that there might be battle stations in orbit. Well, guess what? You know, the Russians launched the... There were six Almaz stations. And even if you don't believe they had particle cannons and stuff, they had a 20-millimeter recoilless cannon, and I put a picture of it in the book. I said, you, you don't believe me that they put a cannon on the space station? Here. Here's a picture of the cannon. Huh. Here's an architectural schematic of the can of the, the Elmaz. This mm-hmm. is where it was mounted. Right. You know, the polyus skiff? You want something that'll really scare the crap out of you? This thing's the size of the space shuttle, and it's filled with lasers and nuclear missiles and all kinds of stuff. You know what? I put the day they launched it. They launched it. They claimed that, that it got destroyed because they sent it a code and that put it into a ballistic orbit that nobody saw it reenter. But whatever. All I say is maybe it didn't crash. Maybe right. it's still up there. You know? Mm. I say, hey, groups of people are being kidnapped to be used as slave labor for this operation, right? Okay. David Pauleads put out a map of disappearances where he put little stickets where everybody got abducted, right? Right. I overlaid it on a map from a guy named Tall. Guess what? It matches where the concentrations of disappearances are. Tall claims that they're underground facilities. Well, you overlay it, it's pretty damn close. Yeah, interesting. So, you know, for people like David Wilcock, don't go on the radio and talk for two hours how you have all these inside sources and, you know, and you and and good old Corey Good, you know, have these inside sources and then produce nothing. Mm -hmm. You produce nothing. You can't show me a picture of of a blue avian. You can't show me anything that proves that it's real. Mm hmm. But meanwhile, you've got TV shows, you've got books, you've got radio appearances, and you're taking people's money. And you know what? Corey Good, he claims that he's been an intelligence asset since he was a kid. Uh-huh. Riddle me this. If he's an intelligence asset, chances are he's subsidized by the government, right? Right. So why would he put a posting on the Internet about 10 years ago Looking for a way to sue his to sue his employer for a workplace injury that his employer didn't want to cover. Well, maybe that was his uh, front sort of uh, occupation. I don't know. Yeah, but if it's his front occupation, why is he trying to sue these people for hurting his back? Yeah, uh, I don't know. Right, that's what I'm saying. The, yeah. the, these things don't add up. Right. I mean, I mean, you know, you look at a guy like Lazar, right? They all they all pan Lazar. Oh, nobody can verify Lazar's degrees. Right. Stanton Friedman just lambasts him. Right. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. But he's in. He's he's listed as a technician in the Los Alamos phone book. 
Right. He has a pace. He has a W-2. Look, the way the government works is that it's a bureaucracy. Let's get that done right out of, right out of the front of the gate. Mm-hmm. Right? So the government, just like everybody else, gives you a, a goddamn W-2 so that you can file your taxes, right? Yeah. Well, you know, poor Bob Lazar gets lambasted by people like Stanton Friedman, who I like, by the way. Mm-hmm. I like Stanton. He does good work. He he says the same thing over and over again. But I <laughs> but I like the guy. I think he does good work. I think he's a stand up guy. Yeah. We've but, had him on the show a few times on yeah, ground. He's a good guy and I think he does great work. But hold on a second. If he wasn't part of some sort of secret operation, why does he have a pay stub and a W two from the Office of Naval Intelligence? Yeah. Where did that come from? Did he just pull it out of his ass? I mean, you can call O&I, and they'll verify that he worked there. They right. won't tell you what he did. They'll right. tell you the dates that he worked there, which is on the on the W-2, and it corresponds to what he said he was doing. Right. You know? You know, the only thing that I've ever seen in my whole life that had any kind of a disclosure tone to it mm-hmm. was, was uh, uh, what's his name? Um it escapes me now. Uh, cosmic was a cosmic voyage. It was. Um, I saw it on sightings, eons ago. Right. Basically, what had happened is the CIA had gone to Timothy Good and said, "Who does great work too?" Had mm-hmm. gone to Timothy Good and said, "You know, cosmic journey." And he they wanted to have a rolling, like UFO exposition. It was going to be done by Ringling Brothers and and. And it was this whole operation, and this this guy, um, his name escapes me now, but he, Good said, you know what, I can't do it. Talk to this guy, and this guy at the time worked for NASA. He was like a contractor for NASA, and they got on the phone with him, and he he recorded Bobby Ray Inman, who's an admiral, Admiral Bobby Ray Inman, who's the former head of the CIA. He recorded phone calls with Inman where Inman's talking about how they want to make a UFO exposition. He right. had he had the the recordings of the conversations. He had the um, he had the promo video on VHS. I mean, he had everything the 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 kind of brochure mockups of the brochures, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then he and then somebody sends him a VHS tape from Canada, calling themselves Guardian, and. It looked like a UFO, so he goes on sightings and says, "Oh, it's a UFO," and that turns out to be a helicopter. And the 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 Mounties were like extracting somebody, and there was like a helicopter, and it completely destroyed his credibility. Mm-hmm. But prior to that, the whole cosmic journey thing—I mean, he he had it nailed. Hmm. That doesn't mean that I think aliens are doing this stuff, but I mean, he had at least he had evidence of something. Right. You know, right. there, there was a, a paper trail. That there's a paper was, trail. Right, well, that was credible, though, too. So. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you look at Bob Lazar, you know, for being a for being a guy who could, as as various people claim, could only run a photo mat. Right. I've personally seen his jet car. He took a an engine out of an F4 Phantom. He built mm-hmm. a frame around it and he turned it into a jet car. I mean, I saw I saw a backpack that he built that was a rocket engine on mm-hmm. a backpack. He he put a, a rocket motor in a in an Oldsmobile. He put a rocket engine in a CRX. 
that takes a fairly sophisticated knowledge of not only cars but aerodynamics, you know, uh, physics, you know, yeah. stress. I mean, the day the day that I actually met Bob Lazar, I went into his house and he said, "Oh, you have to excuse me for a minute." And he was running, he was creating shockwave models of you know various objects, like how what kind of a shockwave they would create mm-hmm. on on a basically a mini mainframe, right? I mean, the, just the idea that he knows how to create models on a mini mainframe shows a level of sophistication that, you know, says that he did more than work at a photo mat and put some cameras in a brothel. <laughs> right. Right? But, uh-huh. they don't, but they don't give him a chance. But meanwhile, David Wilcock can go on, on the show for two hours straight, massaging his own ego, talking about how he has all these secret, secret people telling him stuff. It's uh-huh. like, you know... You know, secret people and informers are dangerous. I personally don't use them, but they're dangerous, and I'll tell you why. Number one, if they give you secure compartmentalized information, top secret yeah. information, you can go to prison for that stuff. Yeah. You can go to Guantanamo for that stuff. Right. And two, well, you don't know what their agenda is. Right. I Actually, I have a, a, a very good friend who I've known for years who used to be part of the, the UFO community. And she told me, you know, straight out that a lot of these people who are uh, presenters, you know, of this type of information are actually uh, mind control survivors themselves. And it's just a program, you know, to put out. I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. I wouldn't doubt it. So uh, it's just that she can't really tell about what she knows about these people because uh, otherwise her she feels her life would be in jeopardy probably but, would be. Uh, but it's kind of like it makes sense now you know when she tells me specifics about these individuals i'm going ah okay that makes sense now so uh just it's just it's a wacky world you know that we live in and uh well i mean look at the mummy thing in in mexico yeah, yeah. Right, Dolan and and uh, Don, uh, what's his name? He did the the Roswell thing. Don Schmidt. Yeah, Don Schmidt. Mm-hmm. Don Schmidt, you know, a bunch of guys. Rich Dolan, a bunch of these guys go down there to Mexico. You know, Jaime Musan's gonna gonna show this this amazing, you know, photograph of an alien. They get all these guys lined up, and they're talking about how it's an alien, it's an alien, it's an alien. Well, it turns out that it was a mummy. Mm-hmm. You know, and and there's a card in front of it that you can pretty much read that says it's a mummy. And meanwhile, you know, they they fleeced how much money out of everybody to do this? Mm-hmm. You know? It's I mean, it, you know, the the Roswell the Roswell autopsy, I mean it just goes on and on and on. It's like this stuff is some of this stuff is real. And you can you can find evidence for it, but I think a lot of these guys that are that run the circuit, you know, I think they're I think they're honest guys like Stanton Friedman mm-hmm. and others, and you know Nick Redfern, you know he does good research. Yeah, you know there are guys like Friedman or Nick Redfern or others, and then uh, the late Roger Lear, right? Roger Lear. Uh huh. You know, there there are guys that do good research, but on the flip side, there there are some people that really don't. Mm-hmm. And it's it's all shock value. Right. You know, it's all click porn. Mm-hmm. 
And it's like, you know, just be careful. Well, yeah. Dear, just, dear it, listener, be careful. It just tickles people's ears and, you know, they just uh, are fascinated with sensational information or sometimes people say, oh, you know, I used to think about that all the time and that person just substantiated what I was feeling. Well, you know, feelings are subjective and sometimes there are certain things that we like to believe, right? Right. But we don't scrutinize things enough to look at both sides of an issue. And so we really have to be careful of just, you know, going with our feelings about something. Yeah, they're important, but we really have to utilize both inductive and deductive reasoning, you know, to, to kind of formulate a, a better perception of something, whether it's, it's true or not. It's true. And that's why I went on there. I said disclosure's dead. I said mm-hmm. disclosure was a non-starter. Other than Cosmic Journey, I've never seen anything that that would lead me to believe that disclosure exists at all. I mean, yeah. all the all the you you know the ufology elite. Oh, Hillary Clinton's going to be this. Well, okay. Oh, George Bush is going to be the disclosure president. No, W didn't do it. Oh, it's going to be Obama because they've got this show on and that show on. Nope. Didn't happen. Oh, well, Hillary Clinton's going to get elected, and she's going to be the disclosure president. Leon yeah. Panetta believes that UFOs are real. No. Nope, they lost. Oh, yeah. now, now Trump's going to do it. No, I really don't <laughs> think that Trump's going to do it. Right. But Trump is, the, Trump is the harbinger of freedom. No, he's increasing domestic surveillance. Yeah. He's uh, going to drain the swamp. <laughs> yeah, drill, baby, drill. But, you know, it's like... We're going to we're going to get rid of Obamacare. Uh huh. But it's like, you know, if you believe in disclosure, I mean, the first thing the first thing that you have to say, if you believe in disclosure, the first thing you have to believe is that disclosure is real. Uh And it's like, from my perspective, what are you going to disclose? Right. What it what are you going to disclose? Mm hmm. You know, well, we're going to disclose 50 years or 100 years of cover-ups. Cover-ups of what? Well, aliens. Are aliens real? You know? And then it's like, okay, so maybe aliens are real. But if they disclose it, right, now Mm -hmm. you have a massive problem. You've got the government admitting that they lied to you for 70 years. Right. Saying, well, UFOs are fake, swamp gas, UFOs are fake, you know, ball lightning, UFOs are fake, psychotic breaks. And now suddenly they're, well, they were real. Uh-huh, right. So, you know, dating back all the way to Long John Neville, they were real. Mm-hmm. You know, the Morris K. Jessup thing, it, it actually happened. You know? And it's like... Okay, so how's that going to look? You wake up one morning and the government admits that they've lied to you for 60 years. Mm -hmm. How much faith are you going to have in the government? Right. You're going to have zero, zero faith. The best case scenario is that they could they could release it in small blocks. Incrementally. Incrementally. But but then but it's all conflict. It's conflicting. Mm hmm. Is Majestic 12 real? Maybe. Are the documents real? Some of them. You know, it's like it's all conflicting and, and nobody agrees. I mean, who look, you take you take me, me and David Wilcock. We both agree. And and and, and Sala, we both we yeah. all agree that the secret space program is is real. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. I think that we did it, and we have a we had a fake Cold War. My new book. Yeah. We had a fake Cold War to cover it up. Right. I think we initially had a real Cold War, and they were well, maybe this isn't a good idea, but it's great for the economy. Right. So you know, and I, and I think they covered it up. Mm-hmm. And I think that that the aircraft that that you see are built by, you know, defense contractors in the United States and in Russia. And, you know, I think that's the way it is. Well, David believes that they're blue avians. Mm-hmm. You know, Sala believes that there are space brothers. Right. You know, it's like, who's right? Mm-hmm. It's all conflicting. Could they be angels? Well, there's somebody else who believes there's angels, probably. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, right. there, there's a conspiracy theory for everybody. Right. But what I do know is what I can document. Sure. You know, the things like chemtrails, you know, that, that there have been many, many articles written about, you know, uh, Dr. Edward Teller wrote one called Sunscreen for the Earth. Mm-hmm. You know, and and uh, Roger Ravel proved that the phytoplankton couldn't process carbon dioxide fast enough, and he did that in the 50s. Right. You know, Argus was real. I mean, you know, these things, you know, I can prove these things. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you're the disclosure guy, if they're blue avians, then then show me a feather. Yeah, right. You know, there are space brothers. Show me a amulet that cannot a nice 1970s disco amulet that couldn't be produced on Earth. There you go. You know, and and you know, I claim they're I claim they're they're Nazis. Well, there's plenty of evidence for that. You know, I mean. Barney Hill said they were Nazis. You know, uh, Adamski, George Adamski was known to hang out with Nazis. You know, I mean, it. The there were Irish soldiers that fought, you know, in the SS. I mean, you know, it, it, there's some evidence, some of it's circumstantial, but I mean, there's evidence that can argue the point. Have some evidence. You know? Exactly. That's all I want. You want disclosure? I want it too. Let's disclose something. Well, I think that's an interesting idea, and I think I have to disclose the fact that I need to catch my bus. <laughs> yes, we need to disclose the fact that we need to end this podcast now. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So that was another amazing podcast uh, from the Paranoia Duo. Um, please yeah. visit us on Facebook. We're Paranoia Magazine. ParanoiaMagazine.com, ParanoiaPublishing.com. Uh, you can listen to us here. We have uh, Paranoia Radio. It's on ParanoiaMagazine.com. Uh, we're on Twitter, Paranoia Magazine. We're on Instagram, Paranoia Mags. Uh, we like things that are not conspiracy on Instagram. It's okay. We're people, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can hit us on Facebook. You can listen to us on Shortwave now. Um, on 60, 70 kilohertz on Sundays at 8 p.m. UTC to 9 p.m. UTC. Uh, you'll get a podcast that's trimmed down. This one's like an hour and a half. I got to fit it into an damn. hour. Yeah, I, I got to fit it into an hour. I'm going to cut out everything that Ron says. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Please, please, please uh, like us on iTunes. Uh, you know, listen to us on Stitcher. Like us on Stitcher. Because we have brownie points and we want to add those up. 
Yeah. Maybe them later. Well, I just want to know people actually listen to this crap, you know? Well, I think they will if we do this on a more regular basis. Regular so basis, it's, yes. It's it's our, you know, we'll we'll try our best to get this out as much as possible. You yes. know, life happens, but uh, two months you know, is too long. Yes, two months is is ridiculous. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, we need to repent of our sins and, and and overcome our you know lethargy or complacency and do it. Just hey, do it, damn it. Hey, Ron. Yeah. Got it out of my system. Sorry. And don't forget, we're going to be a contact on the desert. We're going to have yeah, May nineteenth to the twenty second. So there's going to be a, a paranoia booth. Booth. We're and going then, to have books. Uh, then I'm going to be hanging out at both places, the Ground Zero table. We don't even have a booth, man. You got a <laughs> got a freaking booth. Well, and and we're going to have a special guest, uh, Walter Bosley, uh, who is going to hang out in the booth. Oh, wasn't he in Happy Days? <laughs> And Walter Walter's done some great stuff about arrows and the and the our friends from Sonora, uh-huh. the Sonora Arrow Club and all that stuff. He even found a the bell in in a Delshaw painting from like eons ago. That's but uh, I want to hang out with the dude. I want to oh, party. He's awesome dude, party with Walter. But yeah. he's gonna be hanging out. Um, we have videos, hard to find UFO videos. Uh, we sell those now. Uh, you can find our books, our magazines, our videos on Paranoia Magazine. Uh, just click on on store, and there's a different link. Buy T-shirts. Uh, please buy a Paranoia uh, Paranoia Podcast T-shirt, and send us photos of where you're wearing your Paranoia Magazine Paranoia Podcast shirt. If you wear it somewhere really awesome, or you're reading a Paranoia Magazine somewhere totally awesome and weird, like Antarctica, uh, we'll send you some free crap. I promise. Or even if you're hanging out in the hollow earth. Yes, especially if you're hanging out on the hollow earth. Uh, give me directions. But, yes. you know, we're, we're working on stuff. You know, we, we want to take this to another level. And we need you, the listener, to help support us. So right. just let us know you exist. <laughs> right, yeah. Click on to like or like. purchase something or both. Well, both. We want both. But I'll take a like. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think that's it. So uh, be excellent to each other. And take good care and keep the faith. Night, night, people. Thank you for listening to Paranoia Radio, hosted by Olaf Phillips and Ron Patton. Sponsored by Paranoia Magazine. Read it now. Paranoiamagazine.com Intro theme, The Guide was composed by Scott Moon, scottmoon.net. Outro theme, Fighting Trousers, is by Professor Elemental, professorelemental.com. Voiceover written and performed by Mr. Lobo, host of Cinema Insomnia. Watch new episodes on OSI 74. Visit us at osi74.com. We are resuming control for now.